All right. And thank you everyone for joining me. This is Matt Ryan with the Matt Ryan podcast. And what do we call it? All roads lead to real real estate. (laughs) There you go. All roads lead to real estate. So welcome uh, for this uh, chapter. And I decided really to make this one not necessarily an interview. I've done a few of those recently and I was uh, very grateful to have some positive feedback for, for those of you that reached out afterwards. I do appreciate the positive feedback. We had some really interesting guests lately. And so uh, this one, I brought Kaseni with me, who's my operations manager at the Matt Ryan Group. Welcome. Hi. And so she demanded we don't do any video. So you'll not you're not going to see this on uh, <laughs> camera. So I, uh, of course, agreed to do that. And so um, what I wanted to do today is discuss what we've been hearing. And so it was an idea I had. And so she hears exactly what I hear. And I don't always necessarily answer it in a straightforward recorded approach where if you were just listening into a conversation I might be having with uh, either clients or with other colleagues, uh, other agents about either the market or what what we're hearing and what people are concerned with and uh, just pretend you're having a beer with us and uh, and you're just kind of a fly on the wall. That's what that was the motivation and the inspiration for this particular episode. And honestly, we have not gone over this whatsoever and that was intentional not just out of laziness but we intentionally are trying to make this more of a realistic unscripted conversation right so let's go what what do you think is the first question would you say that that you have for me so you know we've been talking with a lot of agents in our brokerage outside of our brokerage and there's a slight pattern that they might say matt the interest rates have dropped but I don't really see a flow of pendings that I would love to. So they're saying the interest rates have dropped, therefore yeah. the market should be rolling. Right. They're expecting all the buyers to start raising their hands. They do see some other agents actually doing business, but not themselves. So they question, all right, what am I doing wrong? Got it. And so I should preface this, that I just had a conversation with another great agent Um, very successful, much more so than I. And he gave me some ideas. And so some of what I'm about to say isn't necessarily just mine, but it's also others that I have spoken to recently. But, but what I would say it's, you know, it's a result of the actions or the actions you haven't taken over the last several weeks and or months or even longer potentially. And I believe that is really the answer because I can tell you individually I have treated this job and this career um, as just that, a job. And I think you can agree because as we've tried to build out a team, um, you can tell what some agents do and some agents don't. Yeah. And the consistency of activities, it that is the key. And I think the uh, time frame for buyers over the last 12 months, even longer than that, has extended from the time they might raise their hand to question the market or potentially show buying signals to the time they actually transact. And do you recall what our Zillow rep, uh, our account representative told us recently? About three to six months. Yeah, three to six months is about average. That's what it typically takes when someone starts thinking about it and reaches originally out to inquire about a home. That's extended from now to six to 12 months. And so the length of time for someone to actually transact and get a pending, for example, and as an agent, for us to get a pending, it's a it's a lot longer. Right. So and that's on average, right? Some people raise their hand and buy the first home they see. That's not average, right? So the average takes a lot longer. And so we're having success right now. And when I say I treat this career like a like a job, I show up every day, same time. I spend 
all day in the office. If I have appointments, I run out, I come back. It's a real job. Yeah. You know, fancy that. Uh, a lot of realtors are in their pajamas, hanging out, going to the store, going, you know, they're they're living a very different lifestyle than what I would perceive this to be. And the results show up. So I was just commenting with you uh, the other day, like we have more pendings in January than I've ever had in my career. And it's not magic. It's not something that just randomly happened. It's just consistency. That's right. Like, I don't think we've changed anything. I, do, I just think it's a matter of the market has changed. And we stayed followed up with all the people over the last year, year and a half that said, I'd love to do something. It's just not the right time, right? They, they were terrified of interest rates. I'm not going to buy at eight and a half percent or eight percent. I'm not doing it. Well, guess what? Now you can get rates at six percent, even below six percent right now. And have you been following up consistently? That's right. Those people are already in our database. And if we would have not followed up with them 45 times, yes. <laughs> like one of our recent closing shows, um, we would have not had that deal. That's right. And and we literally just had a settlement with someone that that we called 40, I think it's like 47 times over the course of six months. Yeah. yeah. And we just called and wouldn't always leave a voicemail, but it, the consistency, the emails, we have a pattern. So the key is like, is the consistency. And we, we do everything in such a way that, that it's repeatable and it's a process. And so if I were to tell anybody why you might not have the results, it's not always the leads because I, I think that is what most people would say, right? Yeah. I don't have enough leads. That's why I don't have enough business. That's correct for a small minority of people. A lot of us that do this full time um, have a lot of quote unquote leads. Right. It's just not enough of follow up. You're not following up and people like you just can't just wait for your phone to ring. And that's the, that's what a lot of folks do. And uh, I'm not going to say that doesn't happen to me occasionally, right? People call me, but if I relied on only, you know, my phone to ring, there'd be no consistency. And I don't know about you, but we have bills every month. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> not just when I get paid, but it's consistently. So right. that's what I would say to anybody, you know, to answer your question directly that told me, where's all this business? The reality is it's there. Um, we're proof of that to be true. It's like I said, the best we've ever done. And it's just a matter of consistent. And and if you haven't done that and you've kind of been hibernating through the holidays for a little bit and you're an agent listening to this, this is your wake up call. Get on there, become educated on the market, the rates. Mm -hmm. So you are a wealth of information and this is your opportunity to add value and be consistent and follow up. And if they say it's not the right time, they say, call me in six months, I'll think about it. What do we do? Cut it in half, call them in three months. That's the rule. And be consistent, add value. Don't just say, hey, are you ready to buy? Say, hey, I want to make sure you know what's going on in the market today. Add value. And if they say it's still not the right time, be like, fabulous. Can I call you in a couple months and check back in? Right. It's nothing we do is that magical, right? It's just the consistency. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but I'm a lot better than I used to be. And I think the results speak for themselves. Right. So that's the best answer I can do on the fly. What do you think? Am I missing anything? No, no. And it's actually bringing me to the next point is that when people just tell you not the right time, not the right time, you know, we typically hear questions such as, um, well, Matt, I have a lot of people that I work with who want to move, but don't have to move. And I've been showing them houses for like a year and still nothing. So what do you say to those agents who work with 2.5% homeowners who want to move, but don't really have to. 
Yeah, so that is an unmotivated buyer. We have unmotivated sellers and buyers. It's typical, right? You'll have that in every market. And the, the what I would say is understanding someone's needs and doing a need analysis to understand it why. Because once you know the why, and there are there's nothing wrong with being unmotivated. Maybe they're looking for the best deal in town, or it has to be sure. absolutely perfect. I currently am working with buyers like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't turn them away and say, get lost, I can't help you. But the reality is, it's have I done a proper needs analysis to understand I could be allowing them as a professional to waste their time. So if I don't get down to the understanding of the real motivation, then I'm not doing them a service. And so I I would say for the people that are not even close to being ready, I usually show them a couple homes to, to dig in and get to know them better, understand their likes, dislikes, and really try to pull out of them. It's, you know, it's really more of like a counseling session almost to understand what it is and if I can help them get to what they want. And the better I do that, I might only show them properties that are, I'm talking in what I call the Goldilocks zone, right? It's the, it's not too much. It's not too little. It's, it's just right in the middle. So instead of showing them 50 homes, because every home they click on, they want to go see, it's knowing exactly what they want and, and helping them only see the homes that make the most sense. And it saves a ton of time. Um, and I certainly would not be showing people homes if they have not gone through the pre-approval process because I'm not helping them. And that's another, I don't know if that's in your questions, but boy, that is uh, as relevant today um, with people that are just looking casually, that are not, they have never spoken to anyone. They don't know what they're approved to. They don't know their financials. Well, I mean, we just had somebody that went in under contract that hasn't done taxes in years and what they owe the IRS, like $150,000. It was crazy. Crazy. And we work with them for months. And so that's why I keep going back. I'm not perfect at this. Uh, But they didn't know the extent of their financial situation. And so there is no perfect answer in all of this, but it's just digging, digging, digging. And it it really upsets me sometimes when I hear buyers feel that, oh, I know you don't want to waste your time. Mm -hmm. And in reality, I'm not discrediting that. Yes, some of that is true. But the reality is, am I a professional? Am I serving your needs in any capacity by opening doors and not being a professional. Right. So on that topic, what specific questions would you give as an example that you're asking those clients to dig in um, for their motivation? Yeah. So I want to know their current situation. So you start with the current present time. It is perfectly understandable if you have a two and a half percent interest rate in a house that accommodates your family or your needs. It just doesn't have the yard you want or it's on a busier street than you want or those are I'm fine here. It's in the school district I need, but I just don't love where I am. A couple years ago, they would be moving because mm-hmm. they can get even a better rate than they had or or the rates are just as low as they bought a couple years prior. They're going to transact. They're going to move. Now, you better have a darn good reason to go from a 2.5% interest rate to 6 And so the motivation better be strong. And the key to me is they need to know the numbers, not speak in general terms. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key is to understand not just their current understanding of their payment and their motivation level. You need to get real numbers and I they have to speak to a lender if they need a loan. And if they don't want to go through that process, they're not you that that's your answer right there. They're yeah. not motivated. Yeah. But they need to do it to have a conversation. A pre-approval is good for a long period of time, several months. You just have to re-up some paperwork when it's ready down the road. 
but it's worth it because I can tell you we can pick a home that's in the general price category you're thinking and we can get real numbers in front of you and you might jump off a bridge when you see these numbers. And if that's the case and you're like, I don't want it. No, thank you. Perfectly fine. Um, then you might want to put it on hold. You Has know? it happened to you recently? Of course. Hell yeah. That happens all the time. And, but I think that's me being a professional and that requires me to push a little bit. Yeah. So that is not me being a guy at the cash register taking your order. It's me being a professional and in, in advising you and to do something you might have pushback on. And I can tell you a lot of newer agents and agents that might not be busy are so excited to go out and show a house. They're not going to be the professional they should be and really advise. Yep. And that's the, that's what I try to push back is like, I, I know you might not, I might not be telling you everything you want to hear and just open 50 doors for you, but I'm not doing you any service. And if you just say, Matt, I can click a button. I don't know you from anything. I'm going to click a button on Zillow or one of these sites and get somebody to open that door. Honestly, do it. It's the reality. It's like, you're not going to be someone that is invested in the process and you're clearly not a coachable client. Um, you know, do I say that every time? Let's be honest. Not every time, nope. but that's, that's the way I would coach another person to think and just advise you to think along those lines about once again, being a professional, not an order taker. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can move on to my next question, right? Sure. Let's do it. So let's talk a little bit about um, the role of having an election year as it relates to real estate. So how you can um, open this topic. I love it. It's a landmine. Can't wait for this. So um, yeah, it's an election year. I don't know if anyone knew that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 2024, it's election Surprise. year. It's not on the headlines. You probably, it probably flew under the radar. Uh, but regardless of the candidates, even though we have um, interesting candidates to talk about, the reality is election years are very consistent in the economics related to election years. Mm -hmm. So they have a consistent pattern and we look for patterns because real estate does in fact follow patterns. There are ups and downs. There are cycles. And so the cycle for an election year, is, it's pretty positive. So it's very, in, in general, right, if you look back over the last, let's say, 100 years, you're going to see very positive economic indicators because every incumbent wants to get reelected if they're able to. And if they aren't, they're going to want their party to, to get reelected. So there's one surefire way to really have an uphill battle to get reelected, and that's have the economy just be in disarray and be performing poorly. So if anyone looks right now at the stock market, we're all-time highs, baby. Times are good. Cash registers are ringing. And so people are happy. When your 401k is up, people are typically happier. If it was a really big downturn, good luck getting, I don't care who you are, good luck getting reelected. It's going to be tough. And so you'll see, not it's not just for that reason, but it, it helps to, to kind of fuel the behind-the-scenes conversations that, quite frankly, none of us are invited into, uh, that rates are going to continue to improve and or stay steady and not get go the wrong direction for the foreseeable future. And that is, by the way, helping to fuel the market. And so everyone believes exactly what I'm describing. And so that's fueling the stock market. That's helping to fuel the real estate market. And so that's really what I would see. So if you're really nervous about is it a good time to buy a home if prices in general, at least in Maryland, are, are pretty steady and flat. They haven't gone down. And so if you're waiting for it to crash in the next six months to make your purchase decision, that, that's realistically not something I would encourage you to wait for. Because if anything, the rates might continue to go down. Spring market's going to come in. It's going to be even more competitive as a buyer. 
That's what I would that's what I would say. So if you're considering moving in the next six to twelve months, it's ready. It's the time I would I would be pulling the trigger and be looking right now. And so that's how that's how I would advise in this. By the way, caveat is there are no there's no such thing as a crystal ball. Um, the smartest people in the world don't know this. No one can understand what two years would look like. Like I wish I knew what Apple you know stock price would be in two years. Right. It's just impossible. I don't care how smart you are. We can think we know or what it should be based on, you know, the future economic indicators and ca- we can discount the cash future cash flows. But the reality is no one knows. Right. So that's how I would answer that question. It, it should go continue to improve. I think the market's going to get a little better. Um, I was just looking at some of the numbers and for our realtor friends. And even if you're not a realtor, you might appreciate this, that the number of homes of the rolling 12 month period the preceding 12 months, not the, not, I guess, so 24 months, let's call it, was about 6 million. That was up to the all time high. That's the number of homes that have transacted in that 12 month period in the United States. And you can tell um, through the cycles I discussed that always happen. They're very repeatable. They're very consistent over time that the, the, we just hit a low of around 3.7, 3.8 million homes. So you can tell that was a major correction, over 40% reduction in the number of homes that have transacted in the last 12 months. And so does that mean we're at the very bottom and that time that the transaction volume is, is might go up this year? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, it, it could. Um, it certainly could. Now, could it take another six to 12 months before we hit the bottom, before transaction count go up? Nobody knows either. <laughs> no one knows, but it it very well, very well could. But to, to the extent that the people that, especially the agents that have worked their tail off and have been consistent, you could be doing very, very well because a lot of those transactions that have lost, you know, 40%, those were from a lot of times the agents that just do onesie twosies that, you know, it's like your aunt Betty or your uncle Tim that, you know, they got a license and they do two deals a year. They're likely not doing anything and they're probably giving their license up. Mm -hmm. So you'll see the agent count drop off a cliff during these times and then boy when they go back up to five or six million in, in volume and transaction count people start getting their license left and right and that's been a cycle this is not these are this is not something new i'm talking about this has been you know demonstrated and played out time and time and time again so that's a very long-winded answer did i even cover the answer did <laughs> I go sideways? quite extensively yeah, so that's the that's the best I can do on that one. Okay, so let's talk about the agent count drop that you mentioned previously. So there's some information that I was able to um, to find online, and it was crazy. Um, so more than sixty thousand real estate agents left the industry in 2023. Um, you know, the decline was uh, based on multiple factors. So what? How can you explain it? In your opinion, I'm surprised it's not a lot more than that. And so. You know, I'm as guilty as the next. I was part-time years and years and years ago when I was 21. I just did one or two transactions. I'm the agent I was just discussing. I had a full-time, you know, pharmaceutical sales job. This was just a side hustle. I let mine go um, into, you know, I paused my license. For that reason, it was times were tough. Mm -hmm. And nobody's reaching out to the random realtor that doesn't have a business, or at least it was really hard. And the fees don't go away. So when you have to renew, you'll see these massive drop-offs around renewal time. And renewal are twice a year that folks get renewed and they have to pay their dues. That's usually when people drop off. Yeah. And so I'm shocked it's not higher than that. 
um, when you see, you know, the total transaction count drop by over 40%, they're coming from somebody. And the big, big agents that have successful businesses that that do it, the, you know, the quote unquote right way, they're still here and you will see them still be here. In fact, their percentage share of market will go up in the tough times. So you'll see it's like a land grab almost that when there's tough times, a lot of really consistent agents that have money that have done well and have saved their money are acting as if they're in the cycle ahead of the cycle they're in. And so what you do, if we're really at that trough and we're really at the bottom, if you could see my hand gestures, you'd see that we're at the bottom of that S-curve. This is the time where people should be deploying their saved capital. They should be buying up marketing spend. They should be recruiting additional talent that are struggling, but they really have the potential. They should be out there hustling right now and in deploying their capital that they've saved because the previous times, when times were at the very, very best, times were easier. So they should have been pulling some of that market, some of their, their reserves off the table so they had the funding to, to wait for the next cycle. And so that's really, you always act like you're in a cycle really ahead of where you are currently. And so that's, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, Interesting. So I was not expecting that answer, actually. <laughs> I was trying to role play what you might potentially answer when I was making the questions. And um, I thought you're going to talk about the influx of the agents that we've seen in 2020 and how easy it was for them to do business and the whole mentality of servicing leads versus generating them. I thought you might talk on that. Well, it, in a roundabout way, I kind of addressed it because it's a, it's a common cycle because times were so good. You mm -hmm. could know nothing and you could get a few transactions, right? You could have very limited skill set, very limited experience, and the home sold themselves almost. Yeah. Um, our value as agents, believe it or not, in our commission, because how we make a living is based on commission, your commissions in the best of times go down. The, the commission per side is how it's considered by the National Association of Realtors. They track it and it actually goes down in the best of times. And in the times where now when transaction count falls, you typically see the commission amount per agent go up. And we've seen that. So the national average, you know, it's actually, Maryland's actually a lower commission per side than other markets. Other markets get paid more than we do locally, which is very interesting. So other, when I go to these conferences, we actually get paid less here but we have more expensive homes on average. Mm -hmm. So it's as a percentage, we get paid less, but because the average price of homes are higher, we actually do a little bit better. So you're, you're right. Um, if you join two or three years ago, your renewal comes every two years. So if you join in 2021, guess what? Renewals do bye-bye. Mm -hmm. And maybe in two years when the times get, get back to rolling again, you might enter again. And that's not uncommon and it's not, you know, I'm not sad about it. Listen, I was I was one of those statistics at yeah. one point. And at one point I just said, I, I went all in. And I think it's really difficult to be a part-time agent. I've always said that. I thought the service I provided, my knowledge base, everything was really, I thought it was good. But then once I actually did this full-time for a while, I go, man, I knew nothing um, compared to when I really went all in and made it, a, you know, obsession of mine. So yeah, you're not you're not wrong. I should have probably added any of that, but I think hopefully we addressed it now. Thanks for adding it. What were the major changes that you did in your behavior and your just like day to day pattern that impacted um, your transition from part timer back to full time agent? 
Like what was the first thing you started doing? First thing is I realized that my phone had numbers on it and mm -hmm. I could hit the button and, and like make calls. <laughs> I thought it was only receiving phone calls. And so when you realize, oh my goodness, my phone can actually make outbound phone calls. <laughs> that was number one. And when I was, when I did this part-time, I didn't rely on the money at all. So I didn't care. So my, I didn't have any of my ego associated with it. None of my bills were associated with the outcome of this career. Oh, so it, it was like a side gig for you back then? It was a side hustle. I did it because I wanted to be an investor. And I think one of our earlier podcasts was kind of my journey and through this, but I did it because I thought, man, if I could get a license, I could save a couple percent when I sell or I could make a couple percent when I buy. I thought that was genius thinking. And now that I do it full time, it like I laugh. I'm just like, if I ha if I if I stop trying to save two or three percent, and I would have like actually looked around for a really like a killer, like an amazing agent who has experience, who knows their stuff, who's connected, has contractors, is like the guy that's the glue around me. I would have done so much better in my early twenties, and let them take that couple percent and earn it. It's not given; it's earned. I would have made more money. I probably might have left my corporate gig a lot earlier, but I was determined to save two or three percent. And it, as a result, it was a disaster in terms of I had to like eventually quit my job to pursue this full time. So that's the best of like it's some people try to save a buck and it cost them two. Mm -hmm. And so it's because not everyone's equal. Like a lot of us in myself in my previous years, it was a waste of money almost. To, I just didn't represent enough value for what I was charging. And now I think the opposite is true. I feel like I know enough and I'm experienced enough and I have the the un, the right people around me and the contractors. I can save the average client or investor and way more money than it cost to put me into your world. And that wasn't true previously. So that's what changed is I treated it like a job. I, I now, when I went full-time, I went in there every morning, got my coffee, sat down, made my calls and was there all day. Did you work from home or was it an office space? I could never, even when I was single, I had two little cats and I was single and there was no way I'm working at home because I felt I wasn't at work. And it's a mental thing for me. I literally had like a broom closet with no windows down in Canton in Baltimore. I went to it every day religiously and I did it intentionally because I wanted to be at work. And when I was, then when I left work, I felt like I worked a day's, an honest day's work and and that consistency, even though I wasn't all that productive because I didn't know what I was doing, I had no help and I wasn't on the team. So I was, quite a bit of my energy was wasted, quite frankly. I have a lot of certifications back behind my name, which you won't see on my email signature because now I'm embarrassed by it. Um, but I got all the certifications because I didn't know what to do with my time. So I'm certified in all these things that mean, honestly, really nothing. Um, but I did it because I wanted to be busy at the office and I, all, I didn't always want to make the phone calls. I was a little bit scared because I didn't, I knew I didn't know much, but eventually that you overcome that with experience and knowledge. Right. Yep. So back to basics, basically. That, that's all it is. We all start from the same. It's not, this is not the hardest thing in the world. This is not surgery. It doesn't take eight years. It don't need post-grad credits. It just takes dedication and a willingness to put in the time. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit to the buyers and sellers. So, um, have you noticed any significant changes in buyer and seller behavior in 2023 compared to previous years? You mean for just in general for all of last year? Yeah. How do your phone call sound last year compared to years before that? Just in general, 
What are the repeated conversations that you have with your clients? I would say it was almost a running joke. It's like a joke you want to cry into your pillow at night. It was that bad. It was the joke was I get a phone call from somebody and before they said anything about how are you or anything about the house they're interested in, the first thing out of their mouth was, Matt, I just want to let you know up front, I don't really need to move this year. It was like a they some version of that. They would always want to preface it with, I don't need to move right now or I'm not really looking. They always want to do that. Like, I don't want to waste your time. Like, it was some version of that. And then they wanted to talk for two hours and make me do all the things I normally would do. Mm-hmm. But they felt it was okay because they prefaced it with, I have no intention of buying. Mm-hmm. And some of those people did eventually buy or sell, right? They would say, I'm not going to sell this year. But if I did, I need you to come over, give me all your contractors and I'm going to do all the things and do everything. But I'm not moving this year. And it was like, a, it was like laughable because it was like consistent. And in years past, it did not sound like that at all. It was very much, hey, Matt, come over. You need, I want to, I need your advice. We're making a move. Mm-hmm. And so I think that hesitation and the willingness from me, I don't, I don't charge by the hour. I still, I really hand to God, right? I try to deliver the same value, the same everything, knowing even if you don't transact this year, maybe a year like 2024, right? And maybe 2025, you're going to take the value I gave you with no expectations from you and say, I want to work with that guy because he treated me really, really well and gave me the time. And even though last year was not our strongest year, you know, we still did well. Yeah. It's just, no, it was not our top, right? We were not, not near the top, but we paid all of our bills, right? We can, we lived on the fight another day. Yep. And we hired new people and we hired new people. We kept growing. And as a result, we are positioned, I think, to do really well and I believe we're going to capture additional market share. Our, our current numbers right now would dictate that. You know, if we stop the year right now, we're in January. And I just thought of this the other day with you. If we stopped today and I took the rest of the year off, we'd be in the top 500 agents in the state for the year. But please don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't plan to, but it's just wild to think that's like the consistency we had. It's like, I've never had a year that I could stop 21 days in and be and be good for the top 500 for the rest of the year. It's wild. So I'm really proud of that. And I'm knocking on any wood. I see glass. I see here's some wood over here. <laughs> I don't intend that to be, but it's 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 just a good thing to know that, you know, it's not desperation. And mm-hmm. so now when people ask for energy or time or advice, you give it with truly no expectation on the other side, other than I know no one's going to give this much and pour this much into you and be this helpful that even if you don't end up moving, maybe you're going to invite, you know, introduce me to your cousin or the friend at work or somebody because you're like, this guy's really taking the time to, to treat me well. And yeah. that's the mindset you have to have. Right, right. Have you noticed a difference in pricing conversations with sellers um, in terms of how aggressively the property should be priced as it relates to like closing costs, help, any of that in relation to previous years? Well, thankfully, it's not the worst of times. So the scripting around how to price your home in a down market, this is so unusual right now. And so if the older agents that have done it for 20 plus years you'll understand the cycles I'm discussing. Normally, you have to get ahead of the market is what we would describe it. So in in tough markets like we're in, right, volume is down. Normally, pricing follows suit. And we see a 10, 15, 20% decline in valuations on homes. And so you need to tell your client, price it ahead of the future price reductions because your neighbors on the market for 400,000 
you can't list your house for 405 because he's going to list it or she's going to list it for 10,000 less do a price reduction you are you're no longer represent the best value and you're not going to sell your home right away and you might be motivated to move to Oakland or California wherever right to go to the next job the next chapter and you have to get really good at scripting it's a lot easier for agents right now to advise their clients because pricing hasn't followed suit the volume count right the transaction volume has gone down but pricing has been stable. In fact, it's slightly upticked. And so now if your home next door is sold for 400000 it's a very safe bet you're going to sell yours for four hundred or even slightly above it. And so the that professional dialogue and scripting to really help your client get ahead of the market and, and make sure they price it to be the best value, it's not as difficult this go around. And so it, it's interesting for me because I'm all ready to try to win you know, that the minds, if you will, of my clients to make sure they do what's right. It's not as hard. So they want 400 because the neighbors got 400 and guess what? I can get it for them. In fact, I might do better than that because it's going up slightly. So it's not as difficult as it could be. And I'm grateful for that. And once again, this is, this is bizarro land because that is not normal. It is absolutely not normal for, for the volume to go down as dramatically as it has with the interest rate hike Mm -hmm. and not have pricing fall off so we're in it's in a world it's a weird world yeah so if you're selling i congratulations i suppose and i think one of the reasons we're going to see an uptick in overall volume this year is simply because rates have gone down which are going to save you 20 25 on your monthly payment every one percent decrease in rate represents at least roughly around a 10 percent improvement you know reduction in your mortgage cost so when it's gone down more than 2%, you're over 20% savings monthly. And if I can still sell your current home for the same value, if not slightly more than what the neighbor sold it for six months or 12 months ago, it's a win, win, win. You know, yes, you're not, you could still cry about not getting the two and a half, three percent interest rate that, you know, you had, but it's a lot better than I could have told you a year ago. So if you're properly motivated and you have a real reason to move, it's not bad. Right. So I think that's, you know, some people sitting on the fence that might get them off the fence. And if we go down another percent, we go down to like five even or just a below five, it may or may not happen. But if it happens, I think it's going to go way back up in terms of, I mean, we're going to be in the good times again. It's possible. I'm hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I'm hopeful um, for all of our sakes. But at the same time, having the natural cycle and the weeding out is is not a bad thing either quite frankly for those not wanting to put in the work it's it's quite lovely for the rest of us it allows us to really what we call the land grab um the percent market increase of the agents that really put in the effort you're going to increase your market share it's a good thing for those willing to do the work yep all right well so let's talk about the investors because um you have what we call on our team Metrine Special <laughs> Investors yeah. Program, and we had quite a few investor clients last year. So um, tell me a little bit about your experience working with investor clients and what challenges they had acquiring them and just in general, how was the investment journey in 2023? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll put an asterisk next to this. I'm not a traditional investor agent, which sounds weird. And if you're not in the business, you might know what that necessarily means but i do not specialize in forty thousand dollar you know row homes that need to be torn down and rebuilt and 
there are plenty of agents that work in those spaces in those neighborhoods. That's not really what I do, nor is it my model. It was, by the way, when I first started, when I was part-time agent, I looked at those neighborhoods. That's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And subsequently have changed direction entirely. And I've done podcasts on what my new you know, outlook is and how I view all of this opportunity, but I own investment properties. I love the opportunity they present for wealth creation and, and future generation for wealth for my kids. Um, but it's, it's not been, I personally haven't been as aggressive pursuing those opportunities because the year prior I bought several. And so I, I don't, I really I put my capital to use when the rates, I mean, my investment properties, I have a so, you know, some of them in the twos percentage. Uh, these are investment properties, not primary occupancy. And I have others at around three and a half percent interest. So I did so well as an investor to pay six and a half. And I just deployed a bunch of capital. It was a slowdown for me individually. For those that haven't deployed all their capital and have ex extra to invest, now is they're coming back. Because usually to invest in an investment property, you're going to pay a higher interest rate and it requires on average between 15 and 25% down because it's it's considered more risk to the lender as opposed to primary occupancy where you're going to live there either with yourself or with your family. That's a lot less risky to a lender. So in the event you have an issue with your income, you're most likely to prioritize the home, right? The build for the home that you live in. And as a result, um, financing is not quite as good for your investment property. So I think uh, even just someone like myself, these are the good times. The The market has done extremely well. Um, I trim positions as they go up, not when they go down. So a lot of people with money invested in the markets, they recoup some of the losses they might've had in years prior. It's back up. It's nice to trim your portfolio and then re recalibrate it in and readjust it into the real estate sector. So if you're listening to this and you have all your money in your company's you know, stock portfolio, or you have some diluted, you know, generalized 401k plan where, you know, they just put it in a pre-mixture of the buckets that they typically do. There's usually five buckets in one of these um, retirement accounts. Yes, have some of your money there. I'm not saying pull it all out, but I would reallocate some of that during the good times, which we're in, and and put some of that to work in real estate. If you're at 0% in real estate investment, that also means not the home you live in. That is not, in my books, right, that's not really an asset, that's a liability, you live there. So you need to put an, a portion of your your investment, um, uh, you know, portfolio into real estate. And if you don't know what that is, or you're nervous or clueless, that's literally my job. And so the Matt Ryan Special starts with educating people, and my number one client base are current clients looking for a primary residence. During the process, I always, I call it plant seeds, mm -hmm. right? I plant those seeds. I let them know about something they that probably they're not even informed on and no one's really brought up to them. And by the way, 10 years ago, I didn't bring it up either. So that's something that takes a lot of confidence to say, especially to some folks that I work with that are very smart, much, much smarter than I am in their respective fields. But to say, listen, you're a high income earner, you have assets, you need to get into this other space let me give you the easiest approach and the least um, risky approach, which is what really the markets we have here, I call them like really our grade A, that's the flame and yon market that we can have in the single family you know, space that you can get 700 plus credit score clients, um, to tenants to move in. 
you don't typically have the damage. I mean, it's just, I have several and I don't have to think about it really. It's fabulous. Like how often do you hear me talk about my rentals? Oh, never. Well, yeah. sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, but it's usually, okay, a water heater broke or this, it's, it's not like, oh my God, someone destroyed my house and right. lit the basement on fire. Yeah. Considering you know. how many you have. So yeah. Exactly. And now back when I had them in the city and I bought them for 40 grand, it was so bad. My wife told me, if you don't get rid of these, like I'm going to kill you. Like I can't, this is so not worth it. Why do you invest in real estate? It's so dumb. And she knows she is not in real estate. We don't talk about this at the dinner table. This is not her thing. But I'm telling you, I just complained about it so much. She was done. She was like, get out of it. Now she said, you can buy as many as you want. I don't have to, uh, she doesn't hear about it. Yeah. And so that's the path of which I take. It's just more of an education. And I've done, I mean, you can look it up in our little podcast history. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into all the details of what that looks like, but it's there and I've outlined it. Um, it is a fabulous time if you don't have any investment properties to get into the space. And if you have additional capital, you want to trim off and reallocate. But now's the time rates have gone back down to what I call palatable levels. You should get back in and rates have not yet or not, not rates. The pricing has not yet, in my opinion, called up to the rate improvement that we've experienced in the last six months. So it very much very well could in the months to come. So if you're on the fence on that, I think now would be a good time. And if rates continue to improve, you refinance and your position gets better. Cash right. flow improves. Mm -hmm. Potential challenge that I thought of, maybe something that I thought of myself. So I'm an aspiring investor, right? I want to spend, I want to invest money into buying properties. So I look online and I see, all right, estimated mortgage calculator tells me I'm going to pay $1,500 mortgage on this property. And then I look for average rents in the same area, and it shows me $1,500 again. So um, what I do? Nothing, because I'm afraid I would think that I will break even plus the headache. So how do you get people out of that mindset? Because it's kind of paralyzing. It can be, and that is the casual investor, the person that's just fishing around in their head. I don't know, you know, they're just home from work, poured a glass of wine. They're just thinking about what they should and shouldn't do. Most of those people don't call me or someone like me. Makes sense. And the reality is you're not wasting someone's time, a professional's time to get information. I call and I call people like we're considering getting a beach house uh, in De the Delaware beaches. And I will call those agents and I'll take up 20, 30 minutes of their time. I want them to educate me. What I, but I, trust me, I, I look them up. They're the real deal. These are not casual agents. These are not, I, I will listen to them because of their track record. And so that's what I would encourage you to do is if, you know, you're, you're just casually looking online, looking at estimates. I want to talk to somebody that owns property there, that, that is an agent that has years of experience that knows the real deal. And so that's the first question. The first question I would have if someone called, that's what I do. I don't ask them directly the information you just asked. Like, tell me about the rents. Tell me about this. I'd first say, Tell me about your experience. How many have you sold? How many investor clients do you have? Do you own properties? I want to know their level of experience. That's my first questions because you all, I mean, like look at all the people on the news. They're talking heads. They probably have millions of views. We'll have hundreds, right? They have millions. And yet I'm in the space. Don't listen to me outside of this little bubble of Maryland. I know nothing about these other markets. You know, I can speak in general terms, but don't take my advice. Like if I want to invest in Texas, I'm going to call someone who knows something in those markets. But if you're going to invest in the Maryland area, I, I am a credible, you know, source. And so that's, that's what I would say. Um, because the reality is there are pockets 
that are horrible. You don't invest in them. That you will never cash flow. Even in Maryland, that exists. But there are plenty of pockets. Uh, I don't say plenty, but there's there's at least a dozen pockets that today, off the shelf, I can buy a home, I can pay full list price, no negotiating necessary, and I can cash flow day one because there's a spread. The delta on the rental rate versus the mortgage is positive. And those pockets, only someone who knows what they're talking about can help illustrate and point you to. And so don't be, you know, I don't know, discouraged by good old Zillow or these other estimates. It's just have a conversation. And I encourage everyone, if you've never explored it because you're either nervous or knowing you know has done it, I'm telling you, you need to think about it. Yeah, so, that's a great tip. Yeah, I, I just, it's too much of an opportunity for you to, even if it's not the right time, you still should educate yourself. And then eventually you can make the jump when, when the time in, you know, comes to fruition where you either have the capital or your life has calmed down. It's not as hectic and you can do it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. That's a great tip. Yeah. That's the best advice I can give. I'm trying to look, I think that does it for the, the set questions we had. Is there anything else that you think of? That was all I had in my mind. I think so. Yeah. I mean, for our first attempt of winging it off the top of my head, hopefully I didn't bore everyone to sleep. If you are awake and driving and didn't hit any, you know, didn't, didn't hit any uh, potholes or veer off the road, I think we did our job. Um, you know, as always, I'd say if you have questions about anything or anything, call the professional that you know. Um, if you don't have anybody near Maryland, you know somebody, give me a ring and call I'll talk line. with you. Call me. Lord knows all I do is run my mouth. So <laughs> I'd be happy to chat. So thanks, Cassetia, for uh, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yes, and I'll see everybody next time. Bye.